Good evening to everyone, my dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we took a look at some of the feasts of the Lord. Uh, actually, uh, sort of at the beginning of, of COVID was when we did our first uh, overview of the feasts of the Lord. Um, and I think that was a pretty uh, clunky IT uh, situation at the time for me. Um, but if any of you happen to recall that, we, we went through that uh, about a year ago. And then in November, we looked at the, the Feast of Passover. And our intent tonight is to look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, in, in a bit more detail. And we'll just go through a little bit of an outline so you have a bit of an idea of what we're going to go through here uh, tonight. So... We're going to do a little bit of a recap for those who maybe weren't able to uh, attend uh, the overview uh, that we did, or you can't remember it, um, which is very likely because I can barely remember it uh, being a year ago. Um, so we're going to take a brief look at what are the appointed times, uh, why, why even bother considering the feasts uh, at all. And we're going to take a brief look at the Jewish calendar because that comes into play for us. Um, and then we'll take a look at what is the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread? What, what is leaven? Um, and we'll take a look at a few examples of, uh, of where the feast actually comes up in Scripture. And maybe some things we can learn from that. We're going to take a look at the bread of life. And then we'll try to close off with uh, some lessons for ourselves. So lots to cover, and we'll get going on the appointed times. So if you recall from uh, our intro class, we took a look at uh, the overall concept of the Feasts of the Lord. And our main reference was from Leviticus 23, where the whole chapter is dedicated to going through the numerous Feasts of the Lord, the, the key, the seven feasts that they were uh, appointed to, to follow. Um, and four times in that record, the, uh, the divine record emphasizes the fact that this is a list of feasts of the Lord, or as we saw before, that it may be better translated as appointed times. And so why, why is it important that these are appointed times as opposed to feasts of the Lord? Well, we saw that these are not just feasts commemorating an event. You know, we, we think of something like Remembrance Day is looking back on uh, the, the events that had happened in various world wars, um, or even looking at a remembrance of Passover. But these are divinely set events, uh, like times and seasons. And it emphasizes that God is a plan. We looked right all the way back to Genesis chapter one, where... Uh, God shows us that he has set lights in the firmament and they were set for signs and seasons. The exact same word that's used as appointed times in Leviticus 23. And God knows that we need regular scheduled time set aside to dedicate to him. Hence, we have something like this Bible class or we have uh, our Sunday memorial service where we're told we're instructed to follow after that um, because God knows that if we don't, 
we fall astray. And we know from the history of the Israelites, when the people failed to follow the feasts that were appointed for them, they fell away from God. And if the events of the past year have shown us anything, it is that we can fill our schedules with a bunch of stuff. But is it the important stuff? When we have things of God put it into our calendars first, the, the other stuff can, can fit around it. So why do we consider the feasts at all? Well, the Ecclesia Colossae were told by Paul that they did not need to worry about being judged by others for observing or not observing a particular festival or a holy day. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul tells them, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. They are all a shadow of Christ. Just like last time when we looked at Christ as the Passover lamb. Jesus wasn't crucified because the Passover happened or because there was a Passover commemorating the events in Egypt. It was the other way around. Christ is the substance. The body is of Christ, as we're told in the King James. And that's what we need to focus on. The other thing is that we need to see the higher meaning. So when we look at these um, feasts, it makes the events in scripture reveal the spiritual meaning of many records when we see the reference to a particular feast day. I know for myself, as I've been going through this study, you know, there's various times you come through sections in scripture that make reference to a feast, but because we don't actually participate in the feast, um, it's not ingrained in us what all the various aspects of those feasts are. So the lessons that are coming out of a particular passage don't jump off the page at us, which maybe they would for uh, a Hebrew who has went through and, and participated in these feasts annually. And the other thing is it helps us to maybe understand the appointed times. They're, they're left on record for us to, to learn and to, to understand. So let's do a quick recap of these feasts that are mentioned uh, in Leviticus 23 and elsewhere. Um, typically, we see them broken out into two main sections, the, the spring feasts and the fall feasts. So the spring feasts include Passover, unleavened bread, the first fruits, and Pentecost. And obviously, we're going to look at that unleavened bread. So uh, our key passages in Leviticus 23, and we'll take a brief look at it, is a grand total of three verses in Leviticus 23, verses 6 to 8. Then there's also the fall feast, and this includes the, the feasts of trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And many understand that what we call the spring feasts to have their fulfillment in Jesus' first coming. So Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits um, are a prophetic picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we'll look at that a little bit. Um, 
we know the Feast of Weeks, um, I've also put it up there on the screen, is also known by the, the Greek uh, term Pentecost, which we will recall in Acts chapter 2 is when the, uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out uh, following Christ's ascension. And similarly for the fall feasts, those point forward to greater events uh, associated with the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll, Lord willing, get into that uh, in future studies to come. So here is the uh, calendar, the Jewish calendar uh, that has a number of the feasts on it. Um, it shows how the months uh, line up, in particular, you know, the months of our normal uh, calendar, Gregorian calendar, and how they line up with the lunar calendar uh, of the Jews. And the religious year started in our spring, so right around uh, March or April, uh, depending on the year and, and the lunar cycle. And the Jews would start their religious calendar uh, in the month Abib. Uh, as uh, was read for us in our reading. And then you can sort of see as you go sort of around the circle, starting uh, on the right-hand side at, at Abib, uh, going around, uh, you can see that there's then on the 14th, and actually what I'll do here is I'll, I'll zoom in on this section for you. So here on the... Uh, you can see that the 14th of that, that first month is, is Passover. The 15th is uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that's the feast we're going to look at. So that feast was the day following. It was right after. Um, they were back to back. And they happen around our end of March, early April, as you can see sort of on uh, the left-hand side of the screen. This year, it was actually uh, March 26th was the uh, the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that gives you a, a bit of an idea of where it is in, in the calendar. And as you work your way around, you see the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and then you can come around into the fall where they have the Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacles. So you can see this is the, uh, the section that we're looking at in the spring feasts. So if, if we were in person, I'd, I'd ask everyone by showing, uh, by way of showing their hands, um, which we don't really need to do, but uh, what I would ask you is how many of you have started your spring cleaning? And, you know, if we were in person, uh, a few, a few would raise their hands. You know those, uh, those type A overachievers would put their hands up, and the rest of us would reluctantly uh, try to maybe put up our hands a little bit, saying, "Yeah, I started, but, but not really." Um, but maybe COVID has meant that you've uh, some of us have gotten around to to more spring cleaning than than maybe in years past. Um, or maybe not because we don't have any company in our homes anyways. Um, I'm not really sure where the concept of spring cleaning came from, but it very well could be from the Feast of Unleavened Bread 
about 3,500 years ago. So as we will see, the Feast of Unleavened Bread meant that they had to totally clean their house of all leaven. And this was no small task for a Jewish family. Some would spend weeks in advance of the, the Passover because, as you can see from the calendar, they're preparing for the Passover. They're getting that lamb on the 10th day of the first month. Um, but also that whole beginning of that first month, they would be cleaning to purge out all the leaven in preparation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They would clean the house from top to bottom, every cupboard, every nook and cranny, the utensils, all the furniture, etc., would be cleansed to be sure that there was no leaven in the house. <laughs> so, if you already are in Exodus from our opening reading, maybe just turn back to Exodus chapter 12. And in ex Exodus chapter 12 is the events of the children of Israel leaving Egypt. And verses uh, 14 to, to 20 is really the instruction about the Feast of Unleavened Bread given to Moses and Aaron. It's not given to the children of Israel. Um, God gives it to Moses and Aaron and describes it in verse 14 that this day will be a memorial unto you. He's sort of <laughs> outlining the events of both the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread before the actual events happen, because it's not until you come down to verse 29 that we see that it's midnight and God smites the firstborn in the land of Egypt at that time. So what we read of in the first half of Exodus chapter 12 is God telling Moses and Aaron, here's what's going to happen. Here are all the things that the people need to do to observe the Passover. But also, by the way, there's going to be this feast of unleavened bread, which they're not going to be observing in the first year when they leave Egypt. But it is something that they will be observing in the future. And in verse 15, it says, Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So God is pretty specific. If we go through the rest of it, we don't need to take the time to do it is from verse 14 through to verse 20, there's numerous times that God repeats for emphasis, I believe, that there's to be no leaven. You need to clean it out. You need to not have it in your houses. Um, I want it all gone. No one's to eat of it. And if you do, you're to be cut off from Israel. And with regard to timing, we, we saw it in the calendar there, but it's in verse 18. Take a look at verse 18 there. We're told that it's in the first month on the 14th day of the month at even, you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and 20th day of the month at even. Now, if you recall, when we looked at that calendar, the 14th day of the month is the feast of Passover. You can actually see that if you just glance back to verse six in, on your page, you that's when they're keeping the actual Passover meal is on the 14th. 
So the seven days starts on the 15th up until the 21st of the month. So why does it say here that they're starting eating unleavened bread on the, on the 14th? Well, that's because if you go back into verse eight um, of Exodus chapter 12, you'll see, and they shall eat the flesh that night roasted with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. So Unleavened bread was already part of the Passover meal. And then right after that, they are to continue with unleavened bread for another seven days. <laughs> and we see a lot of this coming out in Leviticus 23. Uh, just for clarification, uh, you may, if you don't already have links in your margin to it, um, here you'll be able to see that that becomes clear that uh, you'll see it on the screen there. It's in the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it's right on the heels of Passover, the very next day. And, and accordingly, sometimes we see in scripture that these terms get used synonymously. Um, you know, don't have to turn it up, but in Luke 22, we're told that now the Feast of Unleavened Brew drew nigh, which is called the Passover. So sometimes the writers tend to mesh them together because they are effectively one continuous event. But God's distinctly calling them two separate times, two separate appointed days. And I think that's because there's separate lessons that we can gather from them as opposed to uh, focusing all on the Passover and not having uh, any time focused on unleavened bread. The other thing to note in here in Leviticus 23 is that the first day is a holy convocation and the seventh day. So the first and the seventh day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread happen to be Sabbaths. They are Sabbaths because they're part of, of the feasts. Now, the other thing about the Feast of Unleavened Bread is it happens to be a pilgrimage feast. And, and what that means is that um, three times in the year, there's three sp specific feasts that all the males are to, to celebrate these feasts, including the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, in the place God chooses. So in Deuteronomy 16, verse, starting at verse 6, we read, Three times in a year shall all the, thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the feast of unleavened bread, and, the, and in the feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. So God specifically says that the feasts were going to be observed in the place that he chooses. So you may recall some events in scripture where we see individuals making a trek to Jerusalem, such as Jesus, when he was 12 years of age, he goes there journeying <laughs> to Jerusalem. The other thing we see in these pilgrimage feasts is that 
those three times in the year that they're supposed to go, I mean, some of these aren't short feasts. They're uh, multiple days in length. And in particular, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is, is seven days long. And they're supposed to be uh, going there. And if they're going to go for that, they're going to also be there the day before for the Feast of Passover. Um, and some would show up even earlier so that they can get the items needed for holding the Feast of Passover. So in Exodus 34, we read, uh, we have an interesting section here where God tells them, thrice in the year shall all your men, children appear before the Lord God, the, the God of Israel, for I will cast out the nations before thee and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land, when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. <laughs> so God would protect them and provide for them when honoring the Sabbaths and the feasts. And I would say this holds a, a valuable lesson for us because sometimes I think, or at least our flesh thinks, that there are certain temporal things that are important for us to, to do, to take care of, to, to worry about. and God says to the children of Israel, don't even worry about those nations around. Don't worry about your borders. I will make sure that they do not bother you. They're not even going to think about those things. When you come up to the place that I appoint to observe those three feasts. So sometimes we can get caught up in some of the things that we think are important temporally. Um, when maybe we should be leaving those things in God's hands uh, when there's things that we should be doing uh, with regard to our worship of our heavenly father. So the history of uh, the events, the actual events that triggered uh, this feast. So we read Exodus 13, which outlined um, what the feast would look like, but if you can remember back to Leviticus chapter 12 and the events when the children of Israel left, left Egypt, uh, the historical events uh, we see starting, as I mentioned, in verse 29 of Exodus chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles open, go to uh, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 29. And there you'll see this is where uh, God sends the angel to smite the firstborn in Egypt. And in verse 30, Pharaoh rises up in the night, he and all his servants and the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And we can see here, you know, this is sort of the triggering event of sending the, the children of Israel out. If you recall, when they were told to prepare for the Passover, they were told to prepare with sandals on their feet. They're to eat the meal with sandals on their feet and their, their staff in their hand to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Uh, because when the event happened, they weren't going to have time to, to do much of anything. So we see that uh, Pharaoh uh, has death in his, his household, like many of the other houses of Egypt. And as we mentioned 
earlier on, the children of Israel in verse eight were eating unleavened bread that evening um, for their Passover meal. And they would have mixed uh, flour and water to make unleavened bread, but not had added any leaven uh, for, for their meals uh, because they were to be having unleavened bread. And in verse 31, we see that, uh, that Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron by night and said, rise up, get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel and go serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we be all dead men. And the first thing we read of about the children of Israel and the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes, or in some versions, it says the actual dough bound up in their, in their clothes upon their shoulders. So they didn't have much time to grab anything. They, they had some, <coughs> they may have had some bread uh, or some dough prepared, um, but had not added any leaven to it because um, that may have been done uh, either for it to rise overnight or first thing in the morning. So without having any leaven in that mixture, they just grabbed it and left. And in verse 35, and the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they lent them such things as they required. And they spoiled the Egyptians. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. And a mixed multitude also went up with them, and flocks and herds, and even very much cattle. So this is a huge throng of people that leave. And what are we told? The first thing that they do when they get to, to Succoth, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. So they had their flocks, they had their herds, and they had some dough. Other than that, they didn't have anything else with them. They didn't have any leaven, because that would have been left in Egypt and they had nothing prepared. They didn't have any leftover food because well, what remained of the Passover lamb, they were obligated to burn. That was the direction is they were to take the, the leftovers of the Passover lamb and that meal and burn it. So they had no other provisions other than uh, some unleavened uh, bread or unleavened dough which they then uh, were able to bake into unleavened bread. So unleavened bread appears to be the main source of food after the Passover meal as they are departing from Egypt on their way to the Red Sea. <laughs> and then when we get to chapter 13, we, we see a couple key points that we had read for us already. And that is in verse 3, was the emphasis that they needed to remember this day. God wanted them to remember how they left Egypt in haste uh, with the very few things that they had. And one of them was the unleavened bread. But <laughs> the focus of it was that they were taken out 
of the house of bondage. And it wasn't by their hand or their might, but by the hand of Yahweh were they brought forth from this place. And as such, they were not to be eating leavened bread uh, during the remembrance of this event. In verse 5, we're told that that's the next time that they eat of this, they will be in the promised land. So it doesn't seem as though they uh, commemorated the Feast of Unleavened Bread until they were in uh, the Promised Land. And in verse 7, we're, we're told that there shall be no leaven seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. And that's the, the terminology in the King James Version. I think Brother Yoakum's uh, version actually may have said uh, borders or boundary, uh, which is probably a, a better translation of that term quarters. Uh, so it was more than just within the confines of their house. It was beyond that, that they needed to, to clean of the leaven. And in verse eight, we see that they were to tell their sons. It was for teaching. This, this lesson was for them to teach to their future generations. And in verse nine, we're told that this is to be a sign upon their hand memorial between their eyes or on their forehead and a law in their mouth. So this is meant to be figurative. Um, seems as though the Jews, though, took this very literally by uh, the phylacteries that they bound on their hands and on their forehead. Um, but clearly, if God says that it's also to be in their mouth, they actually didn't put something in their mouth. It was meant that the law was, was in their mouth, as we, as we read here in Exodus chapter 13. So we've been talking a lot about leaven, and, but what is it? Well, <laughs> from Strong's, it's um, a yeast, um, as in swelling by fermentation is what we have in, in Strong's. So it's some, a little bit of rotting dough, basically, um, is the leaven that gets put into uh, a new batch of flour and water mixture, maybe with a bit of oil. and uh, that creates the, the dough. Um, actually, I think this is something that a number of people may have learned about a little bit in, uh, in COVID. Uh, there seems to be a lot more baking that was happening. Um, and, you know, some were making sourdough bread. And for that, you begin with a starter, this, this live culture of this uh, fermenting uh, dough. And a portion of this is added to your new ingredients. And after a short time, after mixing it together, the, the fermenting and the bacteria in that starter will spread to the whole mixture of the new ingredients, and it will begin to puff up and rise and create um, the, the full loaf. And as you see on the screen there, Eaton's Bible Dictionary says, it's the remnant of dough from the preceding baking, which has fermented and become acid. So <laughs> that's what would get used to, to create uh, the bread, um, which is not drastically different from how people would make sourdough uh, today. Um, there are also obviously other types of, of leaven, such as, you know, more commercially uh, purchased yeasts and so on that can, can be added to baking to, to accomplish a similar thing. So why does God say no leaven? Um, why was he so serious about this? 
well, keep in mind that bread was the basic daily food. Um, the, the children of Israel were slaves. They would have received um, some basics from the Egyptians, but <laughs> flour and water would have been some of the basics they would have had accessible to them. And in Exodus 13, we looked at it already. We're told to remember this day when you were brought out of the, the house of bondage. So God wanted them to remember what God had done in taking them out of Egypt, not because of just physically taking them out of Egypt, but actually taking them out of spiritual bondage. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 3, God calls this bread, this unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because God had seen their affliction and would deliver them from their taskmasters. The other thing is that they were to have no corruption, or there was to be no corruption or decay within their house. And, you know, as they're going towards the promised land, that's another thing that God pointed out to them. He said, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. He wanted them to be separate. He wanted them to be pure. Well, that was the whole purpose of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the spring cleaning to get rid of that leaven. God was serious about cleaning the house of all the stuff that caused the decay, the fermentation, so it could become a home for holiness. So spiritually, what is leaven? Well, in the New Testament, we see it linked with a number of things. We see it linked with hypocrisy, with malice, with wickedness. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And I know we don't use the, the term hypocrisy very much, but really this is taking things that were meant for worship and making them about self. We also see it's not up on the screen there in Matthew. We don't have time to go into all the instances of leaven, but it's also about bad doctrine in Matthew chapter 16, about the, the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. <laughs> There's also references to legalism in, in Galatians and politics and grasping for power in the gospel of, of Mark. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we see that we're, also, we're told what the leaven is, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but we're to be unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So that's along the same lines of be holy for I am holy. He, he wanted them to focus not on the malice and the wickedness, uh, which was the leaven that would swell and go throughout the whole batch of dough, but to focus on sincerity and truth. And really, since bread was the staple food in their lives, this represents daily bread. It represents our daily lives. What do we have in our daily lives? Do we have hypocrisy in our daily lives? Do sometimes we do one thing uh, when we're around certain people and something else when we're around others? Well, the other thing is, what did the 
the leaven physically do to the dough? Well, it fermented inside the dough. It swelled up. It puffed up. Well, this speaks to, to pride. And in Romans chapter 12, and we've only got the verse 3 on there, but it's in the context. Chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 talks about us being a living sacrifice. And in that context, we're to be a living sacrifice of unleavened bread. <laughs> so in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, to every man that is among you, think not of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't be swollen up. Don't get puffed up higher than you ought to think. But think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man in the measure of faith. Similarly, we have a, the same concept come up uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, the, the, the chapter of love. We're told in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, that love suffers long, it is kind, love envies not, love vaunteth not itself, it is not puffed up. It doesn't get swollen up. It's not, it's not full of pride. And that's exactly what leaven does to the dough. So we're going to take a few minutes to take a look at some examples of the feasts. And so this is the feast um, of Passover slash unleavened bread. Because, because it's all essentially one event, sometimes it's described as, as a Passover. <laughs> but we see those events uh, happening throughout Scripture. And when we see those events happening, sometimes we should say to ourselves, well, why are, why are we told this? Why are we given this uh, at this time in the pages of Scripture? The divine record doesn't just have filler. So what's the re reason for it? And I've listed on the screen there uh, the seven examples that I'm aware of in, in Scripture where we're specifically told of the actual events of the Passover um, and unleavened bread feasts actually happening. Um, some of them didn't have the un unleavened bread as it, you know, uh, the second one at Mount Sinai, it, they didn't do the unleavened bread till they came into the land in Joshua chapter five. Well, what I want to look at is this one here in second Kings chapter 23. And this is uh, under King Josiah. And if you recall, um, in 2 Kings chapter 23, so you may want to turn there because I've only got a little bit up on the screen for you so that you can glance through it. If I can turn there, 2 Kings 23, if you just take a look uh, back to chapter 22. Chapter 22. Uh, Verse 1, Josiah becomes king at the age of 8. And in his 18th year, in verse 3 uh, of King Josiah, that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought in the house. And uh, you can read on there until uh, we get down to... Uh, Hilkiah finding the law in verse 8. And then Josiah rents his clothes uh, in verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law that he rents his clothes. So this is the context. 
So then second Kings 23, Josiah goes through the land and he destroys the idolatry in the land. Starting in verse four, he commands Hilkiah, the high priest. Uh, this is a second Kings 23 verse four. Um, and the priests of the second order, keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple, all the vessels that were made for Baal. And as you go through, um, he goes through and destroys the idolatry in the land. Verse, and much of it by fire. In verse 4, it's burned by fire. Verse 5, um, the idolatrous priests um, burned by fire. Verse 11, there's, uh, he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the sun. Uh, and burned the chariots of the sun with fire. And again in verse 15, so and verse 20 as well. And he slew all the priests of the high places that were there upon the altars and burned men's bones upon them and returned to Jerusalem. <laughs> so what does this have to do with the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover? Well, we see in verse 21 that once he's done all of that, the king commands in verse 21, all the people saying, keep the Passover unto the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Surely there was not holding such a Passover from the days of the judges of, that judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, nor the kings of Judah. And this is all up on the screens, right? But in the 18th year of King Josiah, wherein this Passover was holding to the Lord in Jerusalem. So Josiah goes and cleans and repairs the temple, finds the law, rents his clothes, and purges the land of, of all of the idolatry in preparation for holding the Passover. So he reads the law, realizes what hasn't been done, and does it. <laughs> and in verse 24, we're told... Uh, I think I have it on the next screen here. Um, yeah, in verse 24, uh, there's a summary of those things that he did. After we're told that he, the Passover is told in Jerusalem, verse 24, we're told, Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem did Josiah put away, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. So how did removing all of those things in preparation for the Passover fulfill the words of the law which were written? Well, we had it read already in Deuteronomy 16. It wasn't just in the house that they had to clean the leaven. It, they had to clean the land of the leaven or the borders as was in uh, the version of Exodus 13 that Brother Yoakum read. And in Deuteronomy 16, it similarly says, and there shall be no leaven bread seen with thee in all thy coast seven days. Neither shall anything of the flesh which thou sacrificed the first day at even remain all night until the morning. 
So in the context of the Passover that Josiah was keeping, he was cleaning out all of the idolatry. Was he keeping other parts of the law and doing that? Very possibly. But I think we're also being told here that he was cleaning out all the leaven out of the land. He was purging or cleansing the spiritual uh, leaven from the land. And what's next that we're, we're told? Well, we're told in verse 25 about King Josiah. It says in verse 25, And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses. Neither after him there arose any like to him. So here's an example of one of the times that we see the Passover coming up in Scripture, and we see the events before it replicating what happens in a typical Israelite home in, prepar in preparing for the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we see it also coming up in Jesus' life. <laughs> you may recall that Jesus typically goes to Jerusalem only during the feast. Most of the time his, his ministry was around uh, Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee. But when we see him going to Jerusalem, it's usually around the days of, of the feasts. And we're usually told uh, when that happens. So if you go to John chapter 2. And John chapter 2, um, you take a look at the, the chapter, you'll see this is the beginning of his ministry. He had just done a miracle in, uh, or he ends up doing a miracle in uh, Cana of Galilee, uh, turning the water to wine. And then in verse 13, we're told, and the Jews' Passover was at hand. So right after he, he, he does that, we're told it's the Jews' Passover, and then Ju Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. So as was instructed in the law, they were to go up to Jerusalem. So him and numerous other people would be coming to Jerusalem. <laughs> so this is in the days preceding Passover. And the first thing that we read of, uh, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. So similar to Josiah, in preparation for the Passover, he cleans out the leaven. He looks when he gets to Jerusalem and says, my father's house is full of leaven that it shouldn't be. This needs to be cleaned out before the Passover. And what is leaven? It, we, we saw it already. It's hypocrisy. Well, these people were making merchandise in the temple, trying to, to make their profit by things that people needed for the Passover. So he purged that hypocrisy out of the temple in this instance. So this is early on in, in his ministry. 
Well, once again, we see this leading up to the Passover. This is the Passover right at the end of his ministry, the one which he ends up being the Passover lamb. So if you go to Matthew chapter 21, Matthew 21 and verse 8, just so we know where we're at, uh, <laughs> this is where they spread their garments and he, he's coming in uh, riding on a donkey. So this is leading up to, to the Passover. Um, and what's he do? Uh, when he comes into Jerusalem, uh, we're told he comes into Jerusalem in verse 10. The first thing he does, he goes into the temple of God and cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. So the first thing he does in preparation for this Passover is he cleans the house. Once again, similar to Josiah, similar to what he did earlier on in his ministry. He cleans the spiritual leaven out of the house. But ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ is the true bread. We have seen how Jesus lived out cleansing the, in preparation for the feast of his father's house. In, in John chapter 6, where Jesus, <coughs> where we're familiar with Jesus telling us that he's the bread of life. You go to John chapter 6, you can see that the context, once again, is the Passover. John chapter 6. And verse four, the Passover was nigh. And one of the things of getting ready for the Passover was only having unleavened bread. And we have here, I believe this is uh, about a year before his, his crucifixion. And we have the feeding of the 5,000 starting at uh, verse five through to 15, where he he feeds them all with five uh, barley loaves. But we're told in verse uh, 32 about it, the bread being his, his flesh. Jesus says unto them, Verily, verily, I sent you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, speaking of the, the manna, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And then going down into to verse 51, where he says, The bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So, Jesus is the true bread that is provided for us. Now, it doesn't say here that he's the unleavened bread. So do we think that he's leavened or unleavened? Well, in 1 John chapter 3, we know that uh, 
we're told that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. <laughs> and if you think of what we looked at last uh, time that we looked at the feast, how the Passover looked forward to the sacrifice of Jesus as the Passover lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Now we have Jesus himself declaring that his flesh as the bread of life. Not only that, Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem, which if you look at that, that's the, the house of bread. Um, so did his flesh contain any leaven? No, he had no sin. And in Acts chapter 2, where Peter's talking about Jesus, quoting from Psalm 16, about Jesus not seeing corruption at his death, he says that David, when he wrote Psalm 16, said, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. And this corruption, this is the decay. This is the corruption of the fermentation of the flesh, if you will. Just like the our natural flesh dies, just like we're told in Acts chapter uh, 13 about how David died. So at the bottom of the screen there, Acts 13. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid to his fathers and saw corruption. David corrupted. He fermented. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. In Strong's, this is talking about the decay of the body. <laughs> so I'll put forward to you that the Feast of Unleavened Bread pointed forward to the incorruptible flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ in his death. So in addition to what we've seen here, it occurs directly after the Passover. And this Feast of Unleavened Bread occurs directly before uh, the Feast of First Fruits, which if you'll take a look at that on that calendar of, of when that happens, this happens right between them. So the Feast of First Fruits, when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ and a bit of a, a spoiler for our next class, Jesus was the first fruits of them that slept. So Jesus was the first fruits when he rose from the grave. So if we have the Sabbath, or sorry, the Passover on one side and the first fruits on the other, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is, is in the middle. And this is his flesh that did not corrupt, had no corruption when he was put in the tomb. So what are the lessons for us? Well, Paul writes to the Corinthians and we're not going to take any time looking in detail at the context, but the context is fornication. He's talking to them about fornication. And this is not just, well, I want to call it run-of-the-mill fornication. This is with fornication with a father's wife. <laughs> and in verse 2, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they were puffed up. He says, I'll, I'll turn it up. Uh, and just read that section in 1 Corinthians 
chapter five, verse two, it says, and ye are puffed up. They're swollen. They're proud. They're like bread that is rising up because it's full of yeast. They're puffed up about those things. And they have not rather mourned. And he goes on to say in verse five, your glorying is not good. Your, your pride is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. Paul tells them, deal with it. Get rid of this leaven, because it's going to leaven the whole lump. It's going to spread. But he says, you are unleavened, which kind of jumped out at me, because I was thinking, well, no, we're, we're full of sin. We all have leaven in us. But we're unleavened because Christ is our, pa our Passover and is sacrificed for us. So we're made clean. We are made unleavened by the bread of life, by the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and they're told, keep the feast. He says, therefore, let us keep the feast. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. They're told to keep the feast, but, but not via the law. To keep the feast in principle. By being holy, for I am holy. For by removing the old leaven, the malice, the wickedness, the pride, the hypocrisy. And replace it with sincerity and truth. So, what are the lessons for us? Well, as we looked at, in all of these feasts, Christ is the substance. The actual feast itself is the shadow. So, Christ, as the bread of life, is the substance. He is uncorruptible. <laughs> it points forward to his incorruptible flesh, even in his death. And he is the pure bread of life. But we have to be aware that we're told leaven is a symbol of a number of these things, malice, hypocrisy, pride, and it spreads. It causes further fermentation, further rot. And the interesting thing about it is it matches perfectly with what we see in real life. Leavened bread tastes better than unleavened bread. We eat leavened bread, bread that has risen up, such as like a sourdough bread or bread we normally buy from the store, because to our natural flesh, it tastes better. Well, the reality is leaven in of itself in our lives naturally tastes better to us. But a good test to sort of say, do we have leaven in us? Is does it puff us up? Because anything that is in that dough that is leavened will cause it to puff up, to, to be full of pride. <laughs> and pride is probably one of the biggest things that we all have to overcome. The other question is, do we justify things that we might not have in the past? That may be a sign of something like leaven spreading within us. 
The other thing that we learned is that every house was to be thoroughly, thoroughly cleaned of all leaven. And, and sometimes this is a major clean, like Josiah or the Lord Jesus Christ had to do. And overturn things, destroy things like Josiah did. Because the option that we see in the feast was those who partook of the leaven would be cut off from the congregation. So how do we examine all the nooks and crannies of our lives for pride and for hypocrisy? Well, it takes time, just like it took time for Josiah to go through the land. It takes time for us to, to really examine those things. And I don't think we can really do it when we're celebrating the, the, piece of, the feast of Passover on a Sunday morning. We have to do it in advance, just like Josiah did, just like they were instructed to, to clean it out before they prepare for the feast. And that can be personally in our own personal lives, or maybe it's ecclesially like Josiah had to do. And in the end, just like we saw in our passage in, in 1 Corinthians, we are the body of Christ and we are unleavened through the, the gracious work of our Heavenly Father and His Son. He is that bread of life. And as such, we as the body of Christ are unleavened. So we should follow after that and we should be free from leaven and be full of sincerity and truth. So with that, I'll turn it back over to our brother Yoakum. Thank you very much for your time.